Um, we, we are in uh, Genesis chapter 29. 29. I was talking with Pastor Emilio, and uh, I I'm going to try to try to change up how I do the lesson this week. And so let me know if it works or not. Um, in chapter 29, what we have, well, we, where, where we've come from is we've had creation of everything, we've had the fall, we've had the flood, we've had uh, the introduction of Abraham, we've gone through the story of Isaac, and we've seen that there's this constant repetition and going back to what's happened before and going back, moving forward and going back. And when we get to this story of, of Jacob, uh, who is the grandson of Abraham, we're going to see, uh, again, there's this constant going back, constant going back that happens in his life. So uh, in, in chapter 29, in verses 1 through 8, we're going to have, we just have this interesting thing that happens and that Jacob is going to meet his wife and when he's going to meet his wife, he comes up to, to his people um, and he says, hey, is this, is this where they're going to be? Is this the place? And there's this great big well that's got this big stone on top of it. And when you get to verse 9 is where we, we want to start. So verse 9, it says, and while he was speaking with them, Rachel came uh, with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. See, Jacob, like a lot of men, when he sees the woman that he loves, he starts flexing his muscles and he starts walking and saying, the well is over there, you know, and it's a good day for, you know, the gun show. And he starts flexing and everything. And so... And then uh, verse 11, it says, Then Jacob kissed Rachel. That's a sign of tender affection. It might have been a little bit inappropriate at this time, but he honestly loved her. But it's also, it could be that it's a kiss of affection because she is related to him, which is still weird to me. But they're related somehow. And so he kisses her, and he lifted up his voice, and he cried. He wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father's, and that he was Rebecca's son, and she ran, and she told his father. So we've got, um, Jacob has got, he's got this thing in his head where he has seen Rachel. Now, where have we seen this? Where before, where they see somebody, and all of a sudden the music starts playing, -na 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 and it's the same thing over and over again. They see the woman that they love, and they fall in love, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. But what happens is, as soon as that happens, treachery, bad stuff starts happening. Uh, in verses 13 through 14, the, the thing that happens that's important is in verse 14. Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my bone, or you are, you are my bone and my flesh. And there he stayed with him a month. Again, where have we seen that statement, bone of my flesh, or bone of, you are of my bone, you are of my flesh? It goes back to Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. And, excuse me, and so again, it's a constant cycling back to go forward. They're saying the same things, doing the same things over and over and over again. Why? Because God wants to establish to us the pattern that he's done all of this. He has controlled all the aspects of these people's lives. He has moved people, mountains, and circumstances to get his people where he needs them to be. So now, verse um, 15 through 20, you just have uh, the, uh, the, descri the description of who Rachel is. 
Laban came to Jacob, and down in verse 17, it says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and of face. Now, what that means is, it, uh, when I first read it, I'm thinking, okay, so is Leah like, like Quasimodo and Rachel's like really good looking? I don't think it's that. If you remember, a lot of women in that time would wear head coverings, and basically all you could see was their eyes. Well, her eyes were kind of dull, but Rachel's eyes were like dancing and sparkling and beautiful and bright. But it, it says beyond that, beyond just her eyes being good looking, she was beautiful of form and of face. So Rachel was kind of like my wife. She was just beautiful all over. And Leah was, yeah, she was a, a cute girl, an attractive girl, but she wasn't anything that she would write home to. So in verse 20, Jacob, uh, served, uh, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So he, gets, he makes his deal with Laban, and he says, look, Laban, I love you. I love your daughter. Excuse me, he doesn't love Laban. He loves Rachel, and he's going to work for him for seven years. But in verse 21, we have uh, Laban's treachery is going to be revealed. Uh, in verse 21, it says, uh, Jacob said to Laban, hey, I've been working for you all this time. Give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go into her. Now, go into her is an expression to mean, I want to go and I want to consummate this relationship. And he says, give me, give me my wife. What, doesn't he, what does he not say? He does not say, give me Rachel. And as soon as he said, give me my wife, I think, and a lot of commentators think, that Laban hatched in his mind, hey, my daughters are getting older, I've got a way to get rid of my, uh, my older daughter and make him work for me for a little bit more time. So he says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give her to you, so why don't you go, they have a big feast, and when it comes, it comes into the morning, verse 25, so it came about in the morning that behold, and behold, it's funny, that word in Hebrew just means, wow, okay, it's like, and wow, it was Leah. So Jacob has been fooled, and he has now consummated the relationship with a woman that he thought was Rachel. Now, that, that will let you know that it wasn't that she was so ugly and so unattractive or whatever. She was a very good-looking lady. You know, he consummated the relationship with her, but it's not Rachel's. And then he goes back, and he says, what's up with this? And in verse uh, 26, it says, is it not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn? It wasn't their, their desire to see the, the younger daughter married before the older daughter. So they gave Jacob the older daughter first. But down in verse 30, it says this. So Jacob went into Rachel also. He spent, he spent the week with Rachel, uh, or the, the week with Leah, and then... Laban had said that I will give you Rachel. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel much more than Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. Now, I'm not good in math, but I know that seven plus seven is 14 years. I don't want to work for anybody for 14 years to get the hand of any other woman. I might do it for my wife. I might, but... 14 years, guys, that's a long time. That's a long time to be 14 years? That's a long time. But now, verse uh, 31, 
Now the Lord saw that Leah was in, what does, anybody have an uh, NIV? Okay, so we shun the NIV here. Anybody have an ESV? What does it say? It says in uh, verse 31, it says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was hated. The ESV is right. The NASB here, I think, kind of waters down the translations where it says unloved. No, she's hated. Um, he does not like Leah. And the, the, the picture that's set up is he loves Rachel so much to the exclusion of everybody else. It's, it's not even a contest. It's like there is Rachel and then there is every other woman in the world over here. It does not matter what's going on. <coughs> But he opened a womb, but Rachel, he opened uh, Leah's womb, but Rachel was barren. Haven't we seen that before? Haven't we seen one of the patriarchs marry a woman that's his heart's desire, and she's barren? So again, going back to go forward, going back to go forward. And then what happens in verse 32 through the end of the chapter is just Leah having kid after kid after kid after kid after kid, and she's naming all of her kids how she feels in the circumstance. And so you've got, you know, Reuben, because God has seen my affliction. And uh, you've got all of these names that are just, that just play how she feels is how she names them. How she feels is how she names them. And then we come to chapter 30. Now, in chapter 30, it says, Now, when Rachel saw that she uh, bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, Give me a child or else I die. That's going to be the cause of what, what would be for me some strife. Uh, I don't like ultimatums, and I don't think Jacob likes this <coughs> ultimatum. And I think Jacob uh, here has righteous indignation. But what happens, Jacob says, the Bible says, Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld the fruit of the womb? So Jacob here is, he's saying, look, I can't, I can't give you a kid. If God doesn't want you to have children, you're not going to have children. If God wants you to have children, you will have children. But it's not up to me. It's up to God. So then there's, there's this play uh, through verses 3 through 8 where they're just talking and talking and talking. Rachel is going to give him her maid. Her maid is going to have a kid. Again, that is treachery on Rachel's part. Her maid has a child, and she feels vindicated. And what's going on in, in this section of this chapter here is just the play of Rachel and Leah to win Jacob's heart. When you get down to verse 9, so we just had Rachel do her thing. She's tricking. She's playing. But now we got Leah. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid, and she gave him to Jacob as a wife. So now Leah is doing the same thing. So you've got Rachel and you've got Leah. You've got one maid given by Rachel. Now you've got a maid given by Leah. And she said, how fortunate. So she named that kid Gad. And again, they're just naming these kids how they feel. And she's naming these kids how they feel, how she feels. And then when we get to verse 14, you just have, again, the uh, the 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 culmination of all of this happening. Uh, the, one of the sons finds what are called mandrakes in the field. And what they are is a little fruit like an apple, a little apple-like thing, and they were thought to be an aphrodisiac. Okay? Um, there are no little kids in the room. Well, there's two. Um, they were thought to be an aphrodisiac. That's something that would heighten the sexual 
desire within you. And so what's going to happen is she says, she says to her sister, Rachel says to Leah, give me some of the mandrakes. And then Rachel said, and Rachel also says, therefore that Jacob is going to lie with you tonight. And so Leah says, that's cool. And then verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field that evening, then Leah went out to meet him. And she said this, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. Now here's the question. Why would she feel like he must do that? And why would she feel like she had hired him? Is it because again, she's got this competition going with her sister and Hey, I'll give you the mandrakes. You give me the man and it's all going to be good. Is it possible? Are they not, are they not even looking to the Lord? Cause if you notice, nobody's praying in these sections. Nobody's, nobody's searching the Lord. Nothing is happening biblically that we could say is a good thing. They're just trying to have relations with this man to have his kids. And so, 22, verse 22. After she has a baby. Now, the, the, the plan backfires on Rachel because the mandrakes don't work. Leah gets pregnant again. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her, and he opened her womb. Okay, whew, we can wipe our brow. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she named him Joseph, saying, may the Lord give me another son. But now Jacob is going to prosper in what we're going to see here. Jacob is going to prosper in all that he is going to be doing. So it says, now it came about when Rachel was born, jo uh, was when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I can go to my own place and into my own country. So he's going back to the man. He's going back to Laban, and he says, I've served you this time. Give me my freedom. And Laban says, what to him? Uh, I don't think so. That's the basic, that's the literal braid translation of the Hebrew. And he says, what, what, what shall I give you? And Jacob said this. This is what I want. You give me all the spotted, fleckled, peckled, off-colored animals that you got, and you keep all the good animals. But here's the question. Did Jacob say that knowing what God was going to do next, or did he not know what God was going to do next? Does anybody know what God does next? If you know what, okay, if you know what God does next, if you're, if you're not sure what God does next, would Jacob do this because he knew what God was going to do next, or did he not know? Just a question. I think the Hebrew here would lend to the fact that he really didn't know. But God's going to give him a sign. But he put in verse 36, or verse, uh, sorry about, verse 32, let me pass through your entire flock today, removing every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted speckled ones among the goats. And such shall be my wages. So my honesty or my righteousness will answer for me later. When you, when you come concerning my wages. And then he said, if you find anything that's not of, of these type, these spotted, speckled ones, 
it'll be stolen. You can consider it stolen, and you can take out vengeance on me. And so Laban said, that's cool. Verse 37. Then what Jacob does is he takes the bark of this tree, and he puts it down in the river. <laughs> and I still don't understand this. And so when the animals come, they go crazy. They start mating like mad. Okay, so it's kind of it's kind of a play on the whole mandrake thing, but instead of it being uh, Rachel or Leah and Jacob, you got these animals. They're going, they're mating, they're mating, and it's uh it's <laughs> when the Bible says that they made it, it's actually to burn with heat. They're in heat. These animals are going after it. So they have all of this, and Jacob is prospering greatly. His flocks and his herds go from nothing to hundreds or th and possibly thousands of animals. So verse 30 or chapter 31, now we've got this situation. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to your land. So now Jacob is going to go back home because Laban, the man he stayed with for many, many years, his face has turned against Jacob. He is no longer on friendly grounds. He thinks Jacob has swindled him, has cheated him, and Laban is going to get what he deserves. That's how he feels. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now what happens in verse 4 through the end, Jacob calls both Rachel and Leah to him, and he starts telling them this story. Hey, your dad has cheated me. He's done me wrong. He has, uh, he, he has, brought, he has not paid me. He has changed my wages ten times. He's done all of these things to me. Verse 9 of chapter 31, Thus God has taken away from your father's livestock, and he gave them to me. So what's going on is Jacob has said, this is what has happened. Laban has cheated you and God has given me, or has cheated me, and God has given me all that Laban has taken from me. But then, verse 11, the angel of God said to me in a dream, lift up your eyes and see that the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and malted, for I have seen that Laban has been, what Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise and leave this land. This is the explanation, I think, of why he did it. But I don't think he, what he did by made, letting the animals mate that way when they got that, saw that bark in the water and went nutty, uh, I don't think it was something malicious or beforehand or anything like that. It was just, it was God's plan. Because what's the whole point of the book of Genesis? God did it. God did it. God does it all. Whatever the plan was, God does it. So, as you move, you move down to verse 19, all of this happens. They take off. And when Laban had gone to shear his flocks, then Rachel uh, stole the household idols that were her father's. Now, here's the question. Why did she steal the household idols? Why did Rachel feel she needed to go? As they're leaving, she goes back to the house and she gets her father's idols. Anybody have any idea? 
Any idea? I mean, there's a couple of reasons, but I don't think it specifically says. Okay. One of which he could have been holding on to polytheism, and so she may have not been worshiping worshiping the true God, because here it says gods, mm -hmm. you know, plural, and then back in the few verses before, we have Laban actually engaged in divination, so I mean, that could just be, she isn't truly converted, there could be one, now she could have also potentially kept it to sell it later, and we don't know. <laughs> right, there's, and is it possible that she, not feeling completely, I think she had seen God's power work, but the syncretism that I think that she has in her mind, she's like, well, I can have Yahweh, who's the God of my husband, and then I can have my gods too, and we're just going to join up together, and everything will be fine. And so he fled, verse 21, so he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face towards the hills of Gilead. But now what we're going to have in verse 22 through verse uh, 32 is Laban is going to pursue Jacob. In verse 24 it says, God, when, as he's doing this, he's set out, he's got his sons, he's going after him. Jacob had traveled 10 days and had gotten to where he was. Uh, Laban is three days behind him and he catches up to him. So you know that Laban was moving. But as he's going, God says to him in verse 24, God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you, not, that you do not speak to Jacob either for good or for bad. And all that means is, I don't want you saying anything to Jacob that's going to persuade him anyway. Now, if God comes to you and says, and if God comes to you in a dream and says, don't say anything about Manny, either good or bad, are you guys going to say something good or bad about Manny? I'm not. Because, again, when you come in contact with God, your whole life changes. It's like I said, biting on a live wire. So, Laban is, like, or Laban is like, hey, I've got a problem. So verse 25, Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And move on down. What have you done deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Laban doesn't know that Rachel has stolen uh, his, his idols, not Jacob. And he's wondering, hey, Jacob, you just left like a thief in the night, and you took all these flocks, all these cattle, all these mistresses, all these people with you. What's going on? Verse 30. Now, you indeed have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob replied to Laban. Now we're going to get the explanation. Jacob, not about stealing the gods because Jacob didn't do it, but about why he left. Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters away from me by force. Now again, he hates Leah. He loves Rachel. But now he's joined the two together, and he's, his affections are starting to move towards Leah. Uh, that you would take from me by force. The one, the one with whom you find your God shall not live. He has just called a death sentence on the one that he loves. Because the one that he loves has done this. Uh, in the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So again, and is Jacob is sitting here as an innocent party. He doesn't know that Rachel has stolen these idols. And he's saying, hey, Laban, you want to you wanna come up and you want to flex a little bit and have some muscle and do all of this? Go through my stuff. Look through it. And if you find it, whoever took it, kill him. 
Now, as I was reading this, again, again, remember, when you're reading Genesis, you have to put yourself in one of a few mindsets. Are you reading it in the time? Are you reading it as someone who's being told a story by Moses? Are you reading it as someone who's finished the Old Testament? Are you reading it as a Christian looking back? I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of this, this is happening at the time. This is happening as I'm living. And I'm thinking, Rachel's going to die. And that's a bad spot to be because if Rachel dies, what happens to the promise? Because he got set up with Leah. That's not who he loves. He has children with her, but that's not who he loves. But he loves Rachel. That's the one that he loves. Rachel is going to die. Verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent. And through the rest of that, that paragraph, he searches and searches and searches and searches and searches. In verse 35, he comes out and he's getting ready to search the people. And what does Rachel do? She says, I'm on my menstrual cycle. I can't get off the saddle of the camel that I'm sitting on because the idols were under her saddle. So she is being, again, she is deceptive. She is tricking her dad. Now, here's the thing. Jacob, his name means trickster. Laban has shown to be tricky by keeping Jacob there for over 14 years. But now Rachel is the third trickster in this party. But God is the one who understands all that's happening, all that's going to happen, and all that is going to happen uh, in the future with these people. Because verse 36 says, Then Jacob became angry, and he contended with Laban. He said, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, and you, what have you found of all your household goods? And basically, he found nothing. Jacob was innocent, sort of, because his wife, does. they don't know it. They're under her saddle. Verse 41, skip down to verse 41. These 20 years I've been in your house. I served with you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. Verse 42, if the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Jacob had not been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction in the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Basically he's saying when God came to you, now it doesn't tell us that God told Jacob that he came to Laban but Jacob somehow knows it when God rendered judgment last night and he came to you and said don't speak harshly to me okay so what does Laban do Laban replied verse 40 verse 43 Laban replied to Jacob uh, replied to Jacob the daughters are my daughters and the children are my children and the flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine Laban said this all your kids are my kids. All your wives are my daughters. They're all mine. They all belong to me. Now he's being a little arrogant. He's conceding a little bit, but he's being a little arrogant. And so he says this, for, verse 44. So come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap. And they ate at the heap. Now Laban called this place uh, Yeger Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Gilead, uh, or Galid, excuse me. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me to this day. Therefore, it was named Galid and, and Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me. When we are absent from one another, uh, if you mistreat my daughters or if you take any wives besides my daughters, uh, 
although no man is with us, there's nobody here to see it, God is a witness between you and me. He makes this covenant, and he says, look, this is a barrier between me and Manny. I'm not going to cross it going this way. You're not going to cross it going that way. It's good. I won't bother you. You won't bother me. That's how Laban was thinking. But Jacob was thinking something different. He was thinking something a little bit different. So Jacob, so verse uh, 53, the God of Abraham, or, or excuse me, verse 52, this heap is a witness and a pillar is, is, is a witness that I will not pass by this heap, for, uh, heap to harm you and will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me to, for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, now that's not a cup combination you want to do there. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their fathers judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Jacob said, I'm only going to swear by the one true and living God. I'm not going to swear by these pagan gods that you're bringing into this. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to a meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, he kissed his sons and his daughters, and he blessed them, and Laban went his way. He went back to his place. So Jacob has escaped by the skin of his teeth. But what happened to Rachel? What happened to the lady who stole those idols? We'll get to that. Jacob fears for Esau. Now, he's just come out of one situation that's bad. He's had Laban pursuing him, and Laban wants what he's got. Now he's going back to, back to Canaan, and now he's got to deal with his brother. So Jacob can't get any rest on either side. No matter where he goes, no matter what he does, he's got problems. So what happens in, in chapter 32? Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of, of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahaniam. So what happens? God gives him another vision like when he was at uh, Bethel, when he saw the staircase going up and down and the angels descending. He's got another thing. God is in his camp. The angels are ministering to him. And then when you get down to verse 9, or actually verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and, dis and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him. He said, look, I'm going to take now Esau's coming. I've got to separate my, my people into, I'm going to put my concubines over here. I'm going to put Leah over here. And I'm going to put Rachel and her son over here. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And, and for he said, if Esau comes, one of the companies and attacks it, that company which is left, it will escape. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your, this is an honest prayer, return to your country, to your relatives, and I will prosper you. And then Jacob says this, for I am unworthy. Jacob has now realized, I think this is the turning point in Jacob's life. He realizes, or one of them, he realizes he's not worthy, but God is worthy. He is not worth fleeing and pursuing all, all these people coming after him. He's not worth it. But he knows that whatever God blesses him with is going to come from God. And what God blesses you with, no one can take from you. I think Jacob is having an understanding of who God is. Verse 10 again. I am unworthy for, uh, of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to me, your servant. 
For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and will attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, Surely I will prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. When you're in a, when you're in a stressful situation, do you guys remember that God is on your side? I sometimes forget. I sometimes will try to solve it in my own power, try to do what I can do as a, just a, a human man, and often that makes things worse. But Jacob here, Jacob says, I'm unworthy. I can't do it. He pours out his heart to God, and Jacob says, Lord, it's not going to be me. It's going to be you. This is a, I, I think this is a wonderful a beautiful statement of Jacob's faith. Look, these guys are all flawed. Every single one of these patriarchs are flawed. Now, what's funny is you hear that all the time. Yeah, the patriarchs were flawed people and all this stuff. But as you read through Genesis, they're really flawed. But what you should take from the fact that they're really flawed is that I'm really flawed. I got issues. I got problems. But they had issues and they had problems. And it's not that they were faithful, and it's not that I'm faithful. God is faithful. God has made a promise that he is going to carry the blessing on, he is going to carry the seed on, he is going to carry the promise on. And that's all that God is looking for them to trust in. So in verse 13, it says he spent the night there, and he selected from what he had with him to present to his brother Esau. So what he does is this is, he takes his, uh, I got it wrong the first time I said he separated him into three camps. He separated him into two camps, but now he takes them and he puts the, the, the concubines and their, their children, Leah and her children, and Rachel. And he sends them off to meet his brother. And in verse 24, or verse 22, now he rose that same night, he took, uh, took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children, and they crossed the fjord of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and he, sent, and he sent that section, and he sent across whatever he had. Now we come to verse 24. Verse 24, Jacob is going to wrestle with an angel. And again, this is another turning point, I think, in Jacob's life. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his, side, of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for this dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Question. Is this man, as the verse 24 says, is this man God? Turn to Hosea. Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12. Here you have the prophet Hosea is recalling uh, 
Egypt's, or Israel's history. And he says this in verse 3. In the womb he took his brother by the heel. And in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. Therefore, return to your God, he says to the people of Israel. <coughs> Hosea lets us know that he was wrestling with God. This is not just a mere man. Again, God has, in, at a pivotal point in Jacob's life, God has shown up. One more time, God has shown up and has said, look, I'm going to do this. And your name is no longer Jacob. You are now Israel, for you have prevailed. That's what Israel means. You have struggled and prevailed. But then he says this. Then Jacob asked him, verse 29, and said, Please tell me your name. But he says, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed them. Have we seen that before anywhere? Where they asked this angel of the Lord, Hey, tell me who you are. And the angel of the Lord says, mm, No, you don't need to know my name. And I think here, the angel's kind of looking at him like, you've kind of had dealings with me, and your father's had dealings with me, and your grandfather's had dealings with me, but you don't know who I am yet? He's kind of looking at him like, you know who I am, but you're just not understanding it yet. But it's also like, look, you don't need to be worrying about me. You need to be worrying about continuing on with this blessing. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. So I think Jacob knew that he was talking with God. Now the sun arose, and just as he crossed, uh, the sun arose upon him, just as he crossed over the Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. He was, that's just Moses inserting this parenthetical statement. Yeah, God touched him here, so we're not going to eat the flesh. When we break open a chicken or a sheep or a goat or whatever and we're eating it, we're not going to eat the sinew in the leg. By the way, does anybody here, who likes chicken? I'm just curious. Does anybody here eat the chicken down to the bone? Literally? The cartilage? The car yeah, the cartilage and all. I mean, you eat everything off of it. I'm just curious. I, I, there's a certain person in my family, I won't say her name rhymes with, like, you know, Ben. And, or you guys, I'm sorry, you guys know her as um, Mathandra. That's how her name is. And the first time I saw her eat, she, like, just, there was nothing left but a carcass. And I'm like, wow, okay. But that, that just, yeah, that was kind of like, that threw through my mind. But sorry about that. Um, Jacob's going to meet Esau now. He's ready. He's, he's wrestled with the Lord and he's won and God has blessed him. He's ready to meet this. Now again, who does he think Esau is? Esau is this mean, evil man who says, I'm going to kill my brother when I see him again. He's still thinking, 20 years later, he's still thinking that Esau is carrying all of this, this burden, this weight. He's got to kill him. He thinks Esau is a, is a mean, nasty man. Verse uh, verse. 1 of chapter 33. Then Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, wow! Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided up his children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in the front. And he put Leah and her children next. 
and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them, and he bowed down to the ground seven times when he came near to his brother. He's, he's saying, look, I got to get back here. I'm willing to die. I'm going to die. If you, Lord, you've got to do this. And what does Esau do? Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Basically, what this text says is Jacob said, Whew, thank you, Lord. Because Esau, again, was in a position to kill him. Laban was in a position to kill him. Again, the seed is not going to stop. There are ups and downs and bumps and bruises on the way to, to fulfilling the promised Messiah. But the seed is going to continue. Why? Not through the efforts of men, but because God has said so. And then all that happens is, through the rest of the chapter is, they're just talking, they, they deal with um, meeting up one another, and then verse 18, Jacob settles in Shechem. So he comes, and this is a, this is a preview of what happens next. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city. He brought a piece of land there that he had pitched, where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel, God, the God of Israel. Chapter 34. Now Dinah was the daughter of Leah, whom she had, whom she had born to Jacob. She went out to visit the daughters of the land. So what do we have? Jacob has come to Shechem. Dinah is one of his daughters. She's going out. She's talking to the girls in the city. She's talking to the girls by the gate. And this is, this is just tragic. When I, when I read this, I was kind of stunned. When Shechem, it's not the, that's not the city, that's the man. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and he lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Now there are three verbs in the first verse and three verbs in the second verse. And in any way that you can conjure up having a relation with a woman, you should put the verses that are underneath on top. You should, you should love a woman and talk to a woman and get to know this woman and all of this. And then you can do the and the and the. But he gets it backwards. His passion, his lust, his uncontrollable desire for this girl has just taken him over. And in verse 7, it actually says, Now the sons of Jacob came from the field, and when they had heard it, the men were grieved, and they were angry because he had done a disgraceful thing. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing. Shechem had disgraced the family, disgraced Dinah. He, they had dis, they had, he had disgraced everything that they know. He had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing ought not to be done. But Hamar spoke with them saying, your, uh, your daughter, please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. Does he apologize? Does the dad, the dad's now here, the son's here, they're in front of Jacob, and, and does, the, does, does the dad apologize at all? Does he say, hey, dude, I'm sorry. You know, this happened. It's terrible. I'm going to discipline my son. No. He just starts in on Jacob. 
Thus, verse 10, thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Uh, live and trade in it and acquire property. Shechem also said, he jumps in uh, to her father and to her brothers, if I find favor in your sight. Now that's an amazing statement right there. Then I will give you whatever you say. Ask me so much, uh, so ever so much bridal payment and gift, and I will give according to you, uh, as, according as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. He wants what he wants when he wants it. And his dad is thinking, hey, these guys have come, they've got a whole bunch of sheep and flocks and all this stuff, and that's great. We can take them, intermingle, and all this stuff is going to be ours. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father with deceit because, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. They said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent. If you will become like us and that every male of you is, be, is circumcised, we will, give you, we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters for ourselves. And we will live with you and become your people. Turn to verse 25. Now it came about on the third day. After they had done this thing, they were all in pain. That's understandable. That two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took a sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor, they killed his son Shechem with the edge of the sword, and they took Dinah from Shechem's house. What it appeared was that Shechem, once he had, had forced himself on Dinah, he took her back to the house and had her there, and she's like his sex slave. But they came, these guys went Rambo on them, and they wiped out everybody. <clears throat> Jacob's sons came up upon the uh, upon the slain and looted the city. So these two sons had done it. The rest of the sons come up and they see that these guys are all slain. They looted the city. They took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and that which was in the city uh, and that which was in the field. They captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives and even that which was in the house. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me. You are made me odious. Now, Jacob has just shown up. This is the first time we've seen Jacob in a while. Where was Jacob when all this was happening? The Bible doesn't say. You have made me odious among the inhabitants of the lands, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me. And I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, and this is how this, is how this chapter ends. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? Yep. I think it's a good observation um, how you see Jacob and his sons. They, you know, Moses puts that little commentary in there. Yeah. That uh, ought, such a thing ought not to be done. And I think, I mean, I'm just trying to think from Moses' perspective in that first generation. They're probably thinking, well, we're about to go into AI, or we're about to go into Jericho, or we're about to slaughter people that live like this, that have no concern. For the Lord. Over these kinds of yeah. dealings. Like this guy, he's just playing a political game when the people of Israel are looking at it. This is an odious sin. This is disgusting. Yeah. We're going to come in and take you over. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, it's vengeful. Yeah, the, you know, the anger that they have, you know, but they're like, hey, I'm not going to intermingle with you guys. This is how you guys want to be. I'm not happening. I think, I think Jacob is more innocent than his sons 
The sons are acting out of vengeance. Yeah. They, like I said, they went Rambo. But Jacob, again, he's just kind of absent from the whole thing for a while, and then he kind of pops back up. I think, I think Jacob was not completely innocent, because, again, if you're the father, you can tell the sons not to do this thing. And, but what I think happens is, is Jacob is just kind of there. I think, yeah, Moses puts this parenthetical statement in to warn the people that are crossing over the river, guys, you need to pay attention to this. You don't want to treat people in this, this way that is outside of what God has set for us. You don't want to treat people in a way that's outside of this covenant because if you do, there's going to be bad things that happen to you. And we're actually going to see that, and well, we'll have to get to it next week. But uh, that's, that's going to pop up when Jacob moves to Bethel. That's, uh, uh, I think it, it's interesting that you see them not <coughs> Right. They, they don't mix. They're, they're not even feeling that because yeah. they could already see there's a distinction. And you, I and mean, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a distinction in the text between the people of God and the people of not God. Yeah. And you see that, again, when you look back through the, in the past of, it, of Israel, mm-hmm. or excuse me, in the past of, of the patriarchs, you see that over and over again. We're not going to mingle. We're not going to mingle. We're not. Now, some of them, they're, they intermingle. They intermarry due to circumstances that are forced upon them, but they always have one wife that they love, and that's who the seed, the promise, keeps going through. Because, again, even with Jacob, he's got other wives, so he's, ing- he's inter- intermarried. He's, ing- he's intermingled with another, another tribe, but the seed is going just through one. So God has his promise that's going to keep moving. Are there any questions? Any comments? No? It's five till. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We just ask that uh, you would bless the lesson as we kind of flow through this text real quickly. Lord, I just uh, ask you would bless, bless your people and that uh, we would all find comfort in the words that we know that your promise has been fulfilled in some sense in the, in the coming of Jesus and that your plan is still being worked out when Christ will return. Lord, we look forward to that day. Our hope and our sights are set on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in the rest of the service. We give our lives to you, Lord, and we look forward to uh, next week as we keep moving through Genesis. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.